Well, yesterday I happened to catch a little bit of a football game, and it was a uh, home team was went losing. Right at the end of the game, they were about the 50-yard line. And all the all the other team had to do to win the game was just not let anything crazy happen. They they weren't even you know, it was close enough to do one of those hail mary things. And wouldn't you know it, the defensive back let a guy get behind him, and they threw a bomb for a touchdown. <coughs> and went ahead by four points with uh, 10 seconds left. The home team went crazy. The players went crazy. Everybody went crazy because you just don't win games that, that way very often. Matter of fact, they went so crazy they got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty and had to kick off from the 20. So then you think, well, you know, crazier things have happened. And sure enough, the other team got the ball at midfield, threw a Hail Mary, and the guy caught it. And so their tremendous victory went into a unbelievable defeat and I'll bet you you see the replay of that game a hundred times because it's just so exciting because we like victory and and especially when one team gets the victory and then all of a sudden the other team gets the victory it's just uh, it's just fascinating to us well I'm going to dominate today's lesson as the best chapter in the Bible because this is when the Hail Mary happens and we win (laughs) This is what happens today. So we'll pick up in Revelation 18 where we left off last week. We've been seeing this, one of these interludes that goes from the historical sequence to kind of the grand historical overview. And we saw the historical sequence is the judgments. We had seven seals as the scroll unrolled. You break the seal and a story happens that's judgment on the earth. God's cleaning up, that sheriff's cleaning up the town so we have a great place to live again. And in the seventh seal, you get seven trumpets. In the seventh trumpet, you get seven bowls. And the bowls of God's wrath pours out on the earth. The sheriff's cleaning up the town, getting rid of all the bad guys. But then you get this historical overview, and you get these characters. And there's the whore, the prostitute, sitting on the beast on the waters. And that's kind of the central character in the story we saw last week. And the interpretation that I offered to you is that the harlot represents, and and some of this is just plainly explained, some of it's inferred. The harlot represents Mystery Babylon, it's called, which is the commercial center of the world, the commercial enterprise, the market system that exists. And we're going to see in a minute, it's the queen of the earth. And the political system is reconstituted Rome. We saw Rome as a beast, and it had a lion as a head, and all the, th- all the components that were in Daniel, the four kingdoms, the lion, the bear, the leopard, now they're all in one beast, so all the components of that beast, and the beast represents the Antichrist. And the Antichrist sits on seven hills, which is Rome, so it's the Roman Empire. And he's of these seven kings, five were, one is, one is yet to come for a small time, and he's the eighth but is of the seven. So it's the idea that this fellow, this beast, will be a satanic creature. He's the Antichrist. He's the dragon man. He's the false messiah. He's the embodiment of Satan on earth. And he is also a reconstituted Roman emperor. So you have the Roman emperor and this commercial system that are the king and queen. What we ended with last week is this admonition, come out of her. And we talked about being in the world, but not of it. That this spirit is still going on today. We're still in the Roman era. And the Roman era has, as we saw in the the early stages of Revelation, uh, Satan is at the seat of power. Satan is still on his earthly throne. And this 
Game of Thrones that we're watching here is all about Satan being dispossessed and Jesus comes on and then invites his overcomers to share it with him. So that's, that's the overall historical perspective that we're getting here. And so we'll pick back up. So then verse 7, in the measure she glorified herself, speaking of this mystery Babylon, this commercial system, and lived luxuriously in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I said as queen, and am no widow, and will not see sorrow. And we talked about this some, that one of the ways this could certainly happen is if you have this mark of the beast necessary to buy and sell, you essentially have government monopoly that's been given. So I can sell because I have approval from the government. And you have this vast wealth that is created, which is always what happens with cronyism. A few people get fabulously wealthy on cronyism. And this commercial enterprise says, I've got the government backing me. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm automatically bailed out no matter, no matter what happens. I, I have a guarantee for everything I do. I'm protected. Nobody can knock me off. I'm no widow. I'm safe. I, I, I have it all put together. And boy, that's the best you can get if you're a commercial business is if you have the government protecting you from competition and the government pro- maybe even mandating that people buy your wares. How can you get any better from that from a standpoint of making profit? Well, this mystery Babylon, as we saw last week, is blamed for the martyrdom of the believers, the martyrdom of the saints. The way they get that power is by compromising with the government and persecuting the government's enemies. That's the way cronyism works. I give you something, you give me something. And cronyism is rampant in in all societies at all times. It's sometimes so bad that it overwhelms the system. And sometimes it's just like a constant flu that you fight off and there's enough immunities in the system to overcome it. But cronyism is going to become to the point where if you're not in the system, you actually get killed. But this harlot, this mystery Babylon says, I am invincible. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord that judges her. And the Lord judges her through the ten kings that say, you know what, we don't want to be beholden to this commercial system anymore, we're just going to kill it. Verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her. So you have these ten kings that are the allies of the Antichrist that kill this commercial system, but the other kings are unhappy about it. They like their luxurious life. And when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. 1811, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Apparently when they kill this enterprise, they kill it dead as a doornail. Because it sounds like trade just stops. Verse 12, merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine lemon and purple silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble, cinnamon, incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. You know, it's interesting to think about bodies and souls of men being traded. You know, that's what the commercial system really ultimately wants. It wants to just trade on your souls. Uh, And in fact, if they could put addictive uh, substances and stuff and get you to buy it, uh, they would. 
and have in the past. I read an article recently about the media. And media is becoming an addiction for people. The kind of the point of the article was the way you make money in media is getting people to click more and look more, and they're figuring out what gets people riveted, which is the same thing as what gets people addicted, and it's becoming a vicious circle, and now some people basically can't, can't take their eyes off of the screen for long periods of time. Well, you, you sort of have the soul of a person, and you're sucking the life out of them for your own profit. Okay, and that's, that's, that's the tendency of commercial systems, if they can get away with it. Verse 14, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, from one hour such riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster... All who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? And we talked about this, that probably this Babylon represents a spirit, represents a commercial system, and probably is represented by a city that's kind of the center of the activity. There's always a city that's kind of the center of things in any, in any system. So it's probably talking about all of the above. Verse 19, And they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she's made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. So when people do commercial enterprise in a way that abuses people, and especially when it's cronyism and it coerces people, it kills people. It brings death to the earth. It brings slavery to the earth. And God doesn't like it. And apparently it's going to develop to the point where people are actually killed through this system. And you can see that happening, can't you? You have the system that collects information and the government say, give us that information in exchange for that we'll give you protection. And you give us the information and then we'll find out who's not loyal to us and we'll go slaughter them. That's not hard to conceive of in our current era, is it? This system, though, is going to be completely obliterated. And interestingly enough, by its own husband, essentially. The king, this uh, Roman governmental system, actually part of that goes and kills the commercial system. And I can see that happening as well. It's like, we don't like sharing power anymore. We're just going to eliminate all this. You've already set up where you can only um, buy and sell with approval of the government, right? So once once somebody has that power, they can use it however they want to. And it's easy for me to see just saying we're just going to cut down all cut out all the merchants and we're just going to we're just going to sell what we want to sell the government. Easy easy to see scenario like that. Verse 21, then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you any more. The sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. So this is pretty drastic. Millstone is industry, you know, commercial enterprise where, where you're taking corn and grinding it. So production, manufacturing shuts down. Craftsmen, you know, making goods and buying and selling goods shuts down. And then musicians. I mean, musicians are, it's either a hobby or it's, a, it's an indication that there's wealth somewhere, that there's enough money to pay somebody to do nothing but play music. 
So basically, leisure activity shuts down, commercial activity shuts down, and commercial goods, the exchange of commercial goods shut down. It's a complete obliteration of the commercial system, apparently. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. Sorcery here is the word pharmakeia, the Greek word pharmakeia. Anytime you see sorcery, that's most likely the word. And of course, we get our word pharmaceutical from it. In the practice of the occult, typically drugs are used because it's mind-altering. To to believe you are powerful in the center of something, you kind of have to alter your mind as, as part of that exercise. And so this is going to involve apparently some wide use of drugs in, in the deception. And I was just reading an article recently about uh, the massive spread of opiate addictions. And apparently starting with prescription. It goes to prescription and then I'll find something cheaper. And this is a massive problem we have. Now, all, not to say that all of this is about to happen. It, it, it's been imminent ever since it was, this was written. A day is a thousand years, so it's always imminent. But, but certainly we could be on the doorstep of all these things happening without a doubt. Verse 24, And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all who were slain on the earth. So once again, the commercial systems actually blamed for the martyrdom of the believers. Now again, once again, the word martyr is a translation of the Greek word martyreo, which most often is translated what? Witness. Most often translated witness. The only time they translate that into martyr in English is when the context infers that someone lost their physical life. But again, the overarching message of Revelation, which is very simple. The events are not simple, but the message is simple. The overarching message is, be a great martyreo and do not fear death. Do what I've given you to do until I come back because my reward is in my hand. That's the basic message of Revelation. So now chapter 19, the victory chapter. And again, what is the Greek word for victory? Nikeo, the the Greek goddess of victory, Nike. The The victory is coming. And that's what Revelation calls us to do. Be an overcomer, be a Nikeo, be a victor. And how do you do that? Be a great witness, don't fear death. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God, for true and righteous are His judgments, because He has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and has avenged on her the blood of His servants shed by her. You know the idea of heaven that there's no real passion there? that there's kind of this mindless staring off into space and plucking on a harp. Hasn't Revelation blown that away? We saw that harps are always an accompanying singing. One of the big songs was the Song of Moses, which is, we are the champions, we beat them. And here they're saying, way to go God, because you blasted the enemy. You crushed them. Because they're evil, and you're good. And you were the sheriff, and you came in and cleaned up the town. I mean, if you lived in a town that was overrun by the bad guys, and your kids couldn't go play in the street because there's so many bad guys, and the sheriff came in and cleaned up the town, wouldn't you say, Yahoo, my kids can go out in the street again? And that's what heaven is saying. They're saying, you've avenged these people who are evil and have filled the earth with violence and killed the believers. 
Way to go. They're excited because they like justice. And justice is finally happening. After all this time of holding back, God is finally coming in and cleaning things up. Again, they said, hallelujah. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. They're really excited about this destruction. Now, haven't you ever been to a movie when the bad guys uh, are just about to win and right at the end they come in and they all get killed and the audience goes, yeah. Have you ever stood up and said, what's wrong with all you? Do you, do you like death? What's the matter with everybody here? No, you, you're cheer too. Because it's the bad guys getting killed. And that's what's happening here. The bad guys are getting killed. They had every chance. Remember? They had all these plagues. And they look and they say, the Lamb of God's doing this. We hate you. But they wouldn't repent. God gave them chance after chance after chance. They wouldn't repent. So finally, He's cleaning it up. Verse 4. And the 24 elders, again, we're back in heaven. We're back in the throne room again. Throne shows up 41 times in Revelation. God's on His throne. That's one of the other overarching messages. No matter how bad out of control things look on earth, God's still in control. He's still on His throne. No one ever contests the throne in heaven. And by this point, remember, Satan's been pitched out of heaven. He finally got evicted. And verse 4, And the 24 elders and the living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne. Where's God? While this is happening? He's still on His throne. He never left. Uh, The bowls are pouring out and all this judgment's happening. God's on His throne. That's why it's happening, because He's judging. And they say, uh, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne. Now remember this voice. This voice is going to be very important. A voice came from the throne. What came from the throne? A voice. Okay. Remember this voice. Saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, and those who fear Him, both small and great. So somebody from the throne has a speaking part, and I think we're going to meet him again here in a second. And I heard, as it were, the voice of great multitude, of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah! You know, we've seen various times where the Hallelujah course kicks in, right? Like, for our Lord God, omnipotent reign, that's from Revelation. Well, here we are again. They just can't help themselves. Just hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And there's that part of the hallelujah course. So let's just do it the way it should be done. Saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. I don't know why. It says reigns here instead of reigneth. They must have got that part wrong. <laughs> Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. So the marriage, so we've got a marriage coming. On the heels of all this judgment is coming a marriage, which is interesting. The marriage of the Lamb has come. Jesus is going to get married. And His wife has made herself ready. Now this is very interesting. The word here translated wife is just the word that means woman. Like the woman Jezebel. Or just any woman. It's translated wife here because of marriages talked about. So, you marry a woman. The groom marries a wife. The groom marries a woman. So he's got his woman. And his woman has made herself ready. So we'll see who the woman is here before long. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So here we have a very interesting situation where there's a marriage that's about to take place. And the wedding gown is a garment that is the righteous acts of the saints. 
I suppose you remember a Christmas carol. And Marley shows up. And what is his garment? His chains that he forged over these many years, link by link, with every malicious deed and every charitable act that he could have done, gone undone, weaving his chains. And now he carries them out as his garment all through the town, seeing all the good deeds he could have done and mourning over them. Well, it's sort of the same idea. Here it's the righteous acts. I suppose all of you have been involved in a wedding somehow. Isn't it crazy the amount of attention that goes into a dress that's going to be worn for 15 minutes? I mean, it's like the most expensive dress you ever buy. And for 15 minutes. Why so much attention? And then you've got to store it. And then you have to store it. <laughs> so it can never be worn again. My wife's dress actually did get worn again. The girls got it out when they are teenagers and started playing with it. <laughs> but they did not wear it when they got married themselves. But here we got a dress. So for you ladies, there will be a dress. But it's made of the righteous acts of the saints. Now, who's this wife? Who's this woman? Well, it's interesting. If we go back to Revelation 12.1, we see a woman that is a woman that we care about. So we go to 12.1. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and in her hand a garland of twelve stars. And being with child, she cried out in labor and gave pain to birth. And we saw this this historical overview was about actually Jesus coming to earth as a man and displacing Satan. So here we have a woman that's Israel. Israel is birthing the Messiah. So that's a woman that's in, in Revelation that's not a harlot or a Jezebel. Those are also women. We can see 1718. In 1718, and the woman who you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And that's Mystery Babylon, the harlot. And that's a woman. Same Greek word. That's not a woman we want to marry. But the woman is this commercial center, this city. So we have a woman who represents Israel. We have a woman that represents a city. That's kind of similar, isn't it? It's It's a significant group of people. And then in 19.7, we have a woman who's the bride. And in 21.9, perhaps the most interesting one to me, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Okay, So we've got Mystery Babylon, a woman that's a city, this huge commercial enterprise that envelops the whole earth, that is the queen with the king, which is uh, the revived Roman Empire in terms of its power. And we have a woman that's Israel, a whole nation. And now we have the bride, and the bride is this city. The new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. It's all pretty similar. It's great groups of interactive people. And we all know from Ephesians 5 that the church is also called the bride of Christ. How do all these things fit together? Well, I submit to you that they're basically all the same thing. When groups of people interact with one another to mutual benefit, they are creating an organism, a body. There's oneness associated with that. Even today, when you go to a store and you walk in Walmart, 
there'll be somebody there saying how wonderful you are right at the door. Thank you so much for coming. You're such a wonderful person. We love you so much. Oh, why, thank you. That's the only reason I came. I'm just going to go out to exit and come back in again so you can say that to me again. Everybody in that store has been trained to welcome you and treat you with respect. It's an interactive group to mutual benefit. And we had this harlot where the mutual benefit is mutual death. And now we have this group that does the righteous acts of the saints. And what are we called to do? What does being a faithful witness and not fearing death look like? Love your neighbor. Be kind. Turn the other cheek. Tell the truth even when there's a cost associated with it. Right? When we do that with one another, we're by faith creating the bride on earth. But there's going to come a time when deception's gone and the flesh is gone. And this is going to be the bride of Christ wearing the righteous acts of the saints. That will be an exciting wedding. And that particular dress, I don't think, is going to go in the closet and have to be stored. I think that's going to be something that gets worn from then on. Verse 9, 19.9, Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. So the marriage supper of the Lamb, uh, let me come back to that if I have time. So the next part, and he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. So I puzzled long and hard over who is speaking now. Who is the he that said to me? And I think it's this guy, this voice from the throne that, we, that I said, remember that guy, the voice on the throne in verse 5. That's who I'm going to propose it is. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. What are the true sayings of God? There's going to be a marriage. There's going to be a fi- fine linen of the righteous acts of the saints. The Lord has cleaned up the town and now He's going to inaugurate His new kingdom. That is exciting. As a matter of fact, it's so exciting. Look what happens to John. Verse 10, And I fell at His feet to worship Him. But He said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant... And of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. Now this is fascinating. Because this is just a regular person. Think about where this person was. If my interpretation is right, and this pronoun refers to this guy coming from this throne, who's not named, I think, for a good reason. Because who can that be? Who can share the throne with Jesus? What did we learn in in chapter 3? Look, it's so important. Let's just go there. It's so important. 321. To him who overcomes, nikeo. To him who conquers. To him who prevails. To him who wins. I will grant to sit. This is Jesus speaking. I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame. So this is a reward. This is not a, this is not a birth. Birth has nothing to do with overcoming. It just has to do with showing up. You just happened to be born. Someone gave it to you. The birth into the new family of God is a complete grace-oriented thing that's given to us. But what we do with our life matters with what choices we make. Whether we fear death, whether we're faithful or unfaithful witnesses. And Jesus overcame. He overcame temptation. He was tempted in every way as we are tempted. And He overcame temptation. And as a result, He was elevated to the throne of the earth. He was already the king of the universe, but now he's got the throne of the earth as a man. 
as a man. And he says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with me and with my Father on his throne. So who could this be that's speaking from the throne that's a regular man? Who could it be? Anybody. Everyone in this room. It could be any. It might be somebody that's here. This may happen. This may happen in the future where you get to speak to John at some point in time. Now, obviously, this has already happened. But we could be on the throne and this could, this could be us as well. Something like this. So he falls down and worships this guy. Now John's already seen these mighty angels and the angels that pour the bowls on the earth and the illuminated angels. And he didn't fall down for those guys. And this guy is so overwhelming with this word of God that he has that it just blows John away and he falls down and worships him. Now that's exciting. Remember the part that says that we're, today we're a little lower than the angels, but we shall rule angels? Well, that's what sharing the throne of God's about. It's about being a part of his administration. I have a political friend that I work with, and I mentor him in some biblical stuff, and I, we were talking about this. And he said, I just can't get this part. Why would I want to be a part of a, of a ruling government with Jesus? Why not just let Jesus do it all? We've gone through this for many times, but I think I finally had a breakthrough with him because he was talking to me about his organization the same day. And he said, man, our organization is so functional now. You know, people are working together. They all get it. They all share the mission. And he was telling me all about this meeting that they had where everybody was on the same page and there was no friction and how excited he was. And I said to my friend, well, that's it. That's it. You're reigning in a way that's bringing harmony and life to a group. That's it. And one of the questions he asked, why does God need me? He doesn't need us. God doesn't need. He wants. But did you need to have children, any of you? They're a pain in the neck, aren't they? Is there anything more troubling than children? You didn't need children. You wanted them. Why? Because you can share life with them. It's so exciting to see them grow up. Each little step along the way, when they cross some threshold, it's so exciting. They can crawl. And then that's not exciting anymore. Now they can stand up. And now they can walk. And now they can talk. It's exciting. Because you're now sharing life with them. And then someday they'll be helping you crawl. That's just kind of the way things go. But Jesus, Jesus wants us to participate with Him. He wants a functional organization. And here's the only people that get to reign in His, in His kingdom. The people who've figured out how to serve. If you don't figure out how to serve, you don't get to participate. That's the reward. That's how it works. Doesn't it make sense? I'm not going to turn over the earth to a bunch of yahoos again. I tried that once. It didn't work. Actually, I tried it twice. I tried it once, had to wipe out the earth with a flood, and then I tried it again. Now I have to wipe it out with these judgment bowls and start over again. Next time, I'm only giving this authority to people who've proven that they can serve. And that's going to be the best reward of all. It's awesome. Well, he says, see, you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant. I whom blowing you over and you're down. Don't do that. Worship God. And then he says, I'm of your brother who have the testimony of Jesus. 
again, the call of Revelation is to be a faithful witness. And if we're a faithful witness, what do we have? The testimony of Jesus. Because Jesus said, go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. And how do you make disciples? He goes on to say, teach them. To do what? Teach them to observe my commands. That's the Great Commission. And when we do that, what kind of organ what kind of organization if everybody says the mission's more important than me i will seek your best interest and i will take my gifts and apply them wherever they fit best what kind of organization is that going to create it's going to be unstoppable and that's what jesus asks us to do and he says i'm of your brethren have the testimony of jesus and then he says something curious for the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy and i puzzled over that what did he say that for The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Here's what I think he's saying. Remember what bowled him over in the first place is, he says, the marriage is ready. The bride's made ready. The bride has the righteous acts of the saints. Blessed are those called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These words, these prophetic words bowled over John. And then he says, you know what? The spirit of those words that bowled you over, that's the same thing as the testimony of Jesus. When we live as God has called us to live, in whatever little area He's given us to do, whatever it is, whoever's in front of us, whoever we're serving, whether it's a child or a friend or a ministry or a job or a neighborhood or a calling, everything God's put in front of us, when we serve that faithfully, whatever it is, it's the spirit of prophecy. It has the same power as these amazing words. And it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? Because that's the righteous acts of the saints. And that is how you get invited to the marriage supper. And that's creating the bride of Christ by faith. We're actually experiencing right here on earth. Now, isn't that not cool? That's a regular person. And that's what this guy's learned to do. See what overcoming turns into? It's hard to do this stuff, right? It's hard to do. You, it's a lot easier just to be all about myself. Isn't that a lot? Isn't that take a path of least resistance? Let's just make life about me, after all. But that doesn't get us here, and that's what this message is. Okay, so now remember, in one of the bowls, the armies of the earth are gathered at Armageddon, and they're all pointed toward Jerusalem. And there's massive catastrophe taking place, and it looks like it looks like all is lost. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the appearance we get. It looks like Jerusalem's going down again. They're totally outmanned. I mean, the nations of the earth have gathered. And... Now I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse. And him who sat on it with him was called Faithful and True. And the righteousness he judges and makes war. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. Remember, this, uh, this beast had seven crowns that were these seven kings, so I'm of the seven kings, and then ten crowns that were like these ten allies. Well, this is apparently so many crowns you can't count, which makes sense, right? King of kings and lord of lords. And he had a name written on him no one knew but himself. We have all this stuff about names, and this is a name that is just so high above everybody you just can't even share it. Maybe we can't even understand it. Because he's the exalted one. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 
and his armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Maybe that's their righteous acts that they're wearing. This is a versatile garment. Wear it in the war, wear it to the wedding. Followed him on white horses. Now out of the mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He's the sheriff cleaning up the town. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come, come and gather. Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and his army. And then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. So this is the two earthly parts of the trinity. The unholy trinity, you got the, the dragon, the dragon man, and the false prophet. That's like, and so this is the Holy Spirit and the false Christ couple who worked signs in His presence by which He deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped His image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire. They just go straight into the lake of fire alive. Burning with brimstone. Oh, I, I, I sort of did that like it was two sentences. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Now this is the Jesus the disciples thought they were signing up for. Remember they were all zealots or zealot sympathizers. Peter carried his knife around with him. And he was ready to slit somebody's throat. He missed and got an ear, remember? When it was time to fight? What did he say the night before? I don't mind dying. Did he mean it? He absolutely meant it. As long as there was a fight. But then Jesus giving up and going to crucify, he didn't understand that because he's a warrior. And what do warriors do? They fight. And that's why Jesus picked them. He just had to get them reoriented. We're fighting a different war right now. We're fighting a spiritual war. I do want you to die. He told them that. I do want you to die for me. But you're going to die fighting a different way. You're going to be a faithful witness and not fear death. We'll do that war thing later. And I'll bet you right behind Jesus is Peter. Saying, finally! (laughs) Finally I get to whack somebody. After all these years. Matter of fact, he might get to cast one of those guys into the lake of fire. Who knows? Now, we only have a few minutes, but I just got to reiterate to you, Daniel chapter 7. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 7. Remember, Daniel 7, Daniel 9 are completely interactive with all this stuff that we've been seeing. And in Daniel chapter 7, we saw the 70 weeks prophecy. And Daniel 7 verse 11... So 7.11, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, and I watched till the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. And in this context here, they're in the throne room. Look at 10. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, before God on the throne. And thousands of thousands ministered to him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. And the court was seated and the books were open. So here they are in the throne room, all this fire around. And this beast comes up and the fire just goes... And blasting. 
again, I kind of get the image here that standing in the presence of Jesus is not going to be all that cool for a lot of people. And for others, it's going to be awesome. And it has going to have everything to do with who you are and how you prepared. Are you born into the kingdom? Have you become a faithful witness who's overcome? What is your experience going to be? Well, the reason he wrote this book is to say, I want you to have the best experience. That's why he says, and we'll get there soon, in uh, 22.12, Behold, I am coming quickly. It's one of the last things in the Bible. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So be a faithful witness. Don't fear rejection from the world. Don't fear loss of material goods from the world. Don't look to the world system to provide your financial security or your happiness or your prosperity. Be in the world. Use those things. But don't be of it. Be above it. And take those things just as items to steward and make disciples. Teach others to obey my commandments. What's the best way to teach? To stand up here and talk? It's okay. I'm for that, obviously. (laughs) But the best way to do it is to live it every day. That's what we're called to do. You know, the New Testament epistles only call us to share our faith one time. And it's in 1 Peter when it says, when somebody asks you, hey, how come you're happy? You've got such a miserable time. Why are you happy? Tell them the hope that's within you when that happens. But on every page of the New Testament epistles, live, live your faith, live your faith, live your faith. It doesn't say not to share your faith. I'm not saying that. The emphasis is on live in such a way that people want to know. Because that's being a faithful witness and not fearing death. And in doing so, we're preparing the bride. We're preparing for this time where we win. And we want to be cheering in the stands when that happens. Actually, I want to be on one of these horses. I'm, I'm doing a little horseback riding, just in case. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that we win for this inspiring message. And please help us do what you've asked us to do at this time. We know the thing we long for will come later. You will restore all things. Pain and suffering will be gone and and sin will be gone and deception will be gone. But in the meanwhile, Lord, please help us be faithful and just believe that what you have for us is so much in our best interest to live this life of faith and to learn these lessons so that we're prepared to live the life that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.